podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Heels podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And hello again. And Annie's here. She's joined the party as per usual. Yes, I'm sure she will air some grievances. As per usual. As per <laughs> usual. All caps. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, welcome back to what episode is this again? I just had the calendar up. You would think I would know. I think it's 39 because it is mine is, 39. I have a, like a 38 slash 39 for my stuff here. Yeah, this one is 39. So welcome back to episode 39. We've almost made it to episode 40. That's Ooh. kind of exciting. Middle-aged question mark? Is that middle-aged nowadays? I think like, I don't know. I don't I mean, I guess middle age would be 40s to 50s. Yeah. yeah. 30s seems way young for middle age. Yeah. People are living like a really long time. Yeah. We're going to say like 50s middle age. That sounds good. Okay. My dad's going to call me on that one. Just you wait. He calls <laughs> me about everything. <laughs> I'm not complaining, dad. I love you. But also there are days. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and... Just talk about some of our listeners. So I just want to shout out a couple more areas. We're actually only going to do one area because I don't know where I'm at. I've got to go back and re-listen <laughs> to where we're at for shouting out areas. Look, guys, so, they changed the map not too long ago, and it, the new one is not good. It's the worst. It I really hate is. It. All right, all right, all right. Um, where was it? Let's do. We've got a lot, quite a few listeners in Germany. So thanks, Germany. We appreciate you and your ears. (laughs) Yes. Especially your ears. Also your beard. I have not had any of your beer, but I'm sure I would appreciate it. That's not true. I only drink fruity beer, so. I drink non-fruity beer. I like Amanda. (laughs) But I've never had like an actual German beer other than, I don't know. Okay. I can't think of the name right now. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just move on. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for those of you listening. If we have not gotten to your state yet, or if you feel like we have forgotten your area, your state, your country, um, we very well might have. And I'm sorry, but there's too much going up, going on up in my head. So yeah. just send us an angry email and we will get to Ooh, it. Oh, send us All a Karen cat. email. Oh, I want it yes. to, you need to do your best Karen impression. And send us an email with how upset you are that we haven't talked about your area yet. So that sounds fun. Which uh, email is hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. So if you want to do that, go ahead and do that then, now. What am I saying? What's Who? happening? Who's am I having first? a stroke? Do you smell bacon or is it toast? It's toast. I'm sorry. I smell. Why are you chilies. smelling yourself? I said, do you smell toast? Not do you I smell know, white but toast? I was smelling what my fingers. <laughs> They smell like green chilies. Okay, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I have been making tamales today. And so my fingers also burn a little from that. Uh Fine. No big deal. No abuela hands yet? No. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever get to that. But anyways. (laughs) So uh, a couple more things we want to just talk about real quick. Uh, Discord. We have released our Discord, so if you want to join, everyone is able to join our Discord. You just need to email us to get access, and you can message us on, um, or email us, or you can message us on Instagram, or Twitter, or Facebook. 
Probably not Facebook. I don't check that. Just let us know. We'll get you there. Yeah. Eventually, we'll get you the link and get you invited to Discord if you want to be there. Add suggest suggestions. Woo. Um, talk about any past episodes, true crime, anything like that. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Um, also, our Patreon, we did release a special. The Jack the Ripper special not too long ago. So if you guys want to go in and hear about Jack the Ripper, um, we do have that out on Patreon. So you can do that. Also, as a side note, patrons do, all levels of patrons do get early access to all of our episodes. Basically, as soon as I've edited them, I throw them up there. So you should have way early access at some point. So (laughs) there's that. All right. Anything else you want to talk about or anything? How are you? I think I'm good. You're good? Yeah. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Okay. I've got well, some we... french fries and chicken tenders coming sometime. As long as they appear. Yeah. Eventually. Um, I would check oh. my watch, but I'm not wearing it. So. It's got to wait. Oh, it's look. It's 4.51. <laughs> <laughs> also, no, you're like... at a computer. Yeah, I was like, oh, look, two monitors and a cell phone and a Google Nest or Google Hub, whatever they're called. I actually am wearing a watch, too, so you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having my back, because I have literally nowhere else to look at the time. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, It feels like it's been a minute since we've recorded. Is that just me? No. Oh, it's because we didn't record last week because of July 4th. Yes, okay. That's why, that's why. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so it's not my fault. I was no. thinking it was my fault. Sure. Um, well, We're supposed I have... to record yesterday, but my cat had to go to the vet. Yeah, that sounds like it's been a joy. She's fine. She, she needed the drama visit. She, she is the most dramatic thing I've ever come across. Person, place, she is the most dramatic noun I've ever met in my life gosh well let her be she's a kitty cat she's cute too she can't she's cute she's so sweet you can't be mad at her for being a little dramatic i am not james hates her that sounds like a james problem okay um (laughs) well i have a (laughs) i have a development that's (laughs) oh okay i'm here for it whatever it is uh apparently cody and i are now making our own bread at home how is that? Well, it's great because I bought a bread maker. All I do is throw everything in the bread maker and walk away. Oh my god, that's one! I need to get one of those. James, he loves baking it. It's so nice, and you know, just fresh bread is so much better. I bet it smells amazing all the time. Well, when I make it, yeah, I've only made two loaves. Yeah, but still, I I would probably smell it and eat the entire loaf, like just all the carbs. Yes, I mean, we're getting there. I specifically made spaghetti last night so that I could use the bread, put some butter on it. Oh, it was delicious. Cody judged me. He also doesn't like spaghetti. He also married Julie. Whoa. I I think that that went the wrong way. (laughs) Not what I meant. I meant he also married you so he can shut up. He has to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got to live with it. He doesn't have a choice. He asked me. I think me and him both do not eat spaghetti. Oh, my dad doesn't eat spaghetti either. 
I just, I don't eat the spaghetti noodles. I'll I eat actually, spaghetti with anything else. I will say that I did not make it with spaghetti noodles last night. I made it with penne. Oh, hell yeah. So it was just the spaghetti sauce and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. But the noodle I used was penne, so Cody would eat it. Yeah, that's like the one thing me and Cody agree on. The one thing. Yeah. Yes. There was something not- else not too long ago. I don't remember what it was. I don't know. We're not going to talk about it. Okay. I like it, okay. I like it better when we don't agree. Uh, I, I can't blame you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't have anything, I think the listeners are ready. They're rioting and protesting because this is part two. Thank God, because I am. I'm ready to be done with this. Oh, I guess I can talk about I did. I'm so ready to be done with this. Um, I texted you the other day and told you that I had a dream that a clown was at the foot of my bed. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> it was the creepiest thing of my life. But I was so tired because Annie has hit some kind of sleep regression. So she's waking me up all like at least four times a night. Uh, I was so tired that I literally looked at it and rolled over and went back to sleep. And I woke up probably like a couple minutes later, like I dozed off and came back to, and I turned my flashlight on and it was just the wall. But as soon as I turned my flashlight off, I could see all over again, like a, I don't know, I think our ceilings are like 10 feet high. So nine, 10 foot tall nine, clown. Ten foot tall, tall clown just looking at you. Yes. And it was really weird because he was like super skinny, but he had like, you know, the hula hoop waist. Yeah. Where their waists yeah. are out and then it just shrinks back up. And I'm just like, I'm tired. I don't have time for you. So do whatever you're going to do. Just don't wake me up. Go raid the fridge or something. I don't yeah. care. There's Reese's in there. There's not. Oh. I finished them. But at the time, there were Reese's. Yes, at the time, okay. there were Reese's. <laughs> so well, let's get into it so I can forget about all of this. Okay. So last we left off, he had just gotten out of prison and he did wonderful things in prison. He was a model inmate. Uh, he organized that golf, the miniature golf to be built there because I guess prisoners need mini golf. I don't know how prison works. Uh, but Dad, do prisoners need mini golf? Let yeah. us know. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, he was doing great things in prison, I guess. And he was doing such great things that they let him out after serving 18 months. Of a 10-year sentence? Of a 10-year sentence, 10-year yes. sentence? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was released in June of 1970, and he moved in with his mother in Chicago. And he had a 10 p.m. perfume. Perfume? He had a 10 p.m. perfume? Yes. A 10 p.m. perfume. Whatever that is. <laughs> okay. He had a 10 p.m. curfew and he had to live with his mom as um, like she was his chaperone. That was another part of his. That would suck. Mom, yeah. I love you. But if you yeah. had to be in charge of me again after I got out of prison, first of all, I don't think my mom would do it. I think my parents would be like, you're on your own. Yeah. No. And a 10 p.m. curfew. I have to spend yeah. all day with you and yeah. all night. No. Mm mm. I don't think that's I think my mom would be like no that's not the life I'm about to live what did his mom do wrong to be punished exactly he first he got a job in a kitchen and did that job for a little while he got a job as a construction worker and doing this construction work he saved up money and with the help of his mom 
they bought a new house together and they moved. It was still within Chicago because apparently Chicago is huge. You heard it here first. If you didn't know, Chicago is huge. It's enormous. But he moved, still within Chicago, to 8213 West Somerdale Avenue in Norwood Park Township, Cook County, Illinois. In February of 1971, he was arrested on disorderly conduct. He, 19-year-old Alan Limpley claimed to have engaged with sexual, in, excuse me, claimed to have engaged in sexual acts with Gacy. Um, but Gacy ended up filing a similar complaint against Alan Lemke, and the case was dismissed because the police just kind of chopped it up to, this was the 70s, and homosexuality was not as accepted, so they were just kind of like, okay, this is a lover's spat, we don't want to get into it. And unfortunately, we see that a lot. His parole officially ended in October 1971. June 7th, 1972, 21-year-old, or I'm sorry, 24-year-old Jackie D was walking in Chicago when Gacy asked him if he wanted a ride. When Jackie realized he wasn't being taken to where he requested, the man showed him a badge and identified himself as a county police officer. He asked Jackie what he thinks it would be worth to get out of this. When Jackie said he didn't have any money, um, he told police that the man asked him for a blowjob, which Jackie consented to out of fear for his safety. The man then drove Jackie back to a Barnaby's, which was a restaurant in Northbrook. He unlocked the door and hit Jackie over the back of the head and kicked him while he was still on the floor. Jackie was able to get away even after being allegedly struck down by this man's car. Uh, This man obviously was John Wayne Gacy. The charges were dropped for that case under allegations from Gacy that Jackie was calling trying to get Gacy to pay him to drop the charges. So basically, Gacy told police, hey, he's trying to extort me. And the police was like, all right, fine, just drop the whole case. Like that very much. That feels uh that that feels completely justified. That was a joke. It does not feel just. I'm just trying to think of a better term for it. Feels manipulative. Oh, he was. They did later, it was well on into his trial. When they were when psychiatrists were examining Gacy. One psychiatrist did say that he believed Gacy to be very intelligent. He believed Gacy to be in the top 10% of, like, the smartest people. Okay. He did drop out of school, right? Not that that makes you him any less smart, but I'm just... He did drop out of school, but that was due to his medical issues. He did, however, get his high school diploma while he was okay. in jail. So oh, okay, okay, okay. He did something good, I guess. I'll give him that. Made use of his time. Carol Hoff, she knew Gacy from high school. Um, From what I read, she was friends with his little sister, and they were reintroduced by mutual friends. Carol had been very recently divorced with two daughters. 
And they got engaged in August of 1971, and they all moved into Gacy's house with him and his mother, her and her two daughters. His mother have kids of his own. No, when he was in jail, his wife took them. That's when she filed for divorce. Basically, took all his money, took the house, took the kids, and he never heard from them again. Okay, so he does have kids. He just doesn't have any custody. Okay. Yes. His mother stayed with him, but she would eventually move to Arkansas after, or I'm sorry, before they got married. And they got married on July 1st of 1972. Uh, This was very quickly not a happy marriage. They would argue a lot. Carol said that Gacy would throw furniture. He once threatened to hit her because he called her a bitch. So she said that she called him a jag off, which I think is like an older insult. I like it. I like it. So she called him a jag off and he did not like it. Uh, So he threw a candlestick at her. Oh, okay. Is that how you deal with things you don't like? Yes. Okay. He also tried to assault her, but his sister stepped in and stopped him before he could. Uh, It was normal to go weeks with them not speaking to one another. She said he was always working. He left and got home at weird hours. She said it was rare that he slept in the bed with her. And even if he did sleep, it would only be for like two hours at a time. Which to me sounds absolutely manic. That sounds horrible. He was open with her about being bisexual. Uh, After they were married on Mother's Day, not even two years of their of them getting married. He told her that that day when they had sex, that was the last time they would have sex with each other. He and they did not. That was she. Carol confirmed that was the last day they were ever intimate. He also, as they progressed in this marriage, began leaving uh homosexual pornography around the house which if that's what you like that's fine uh, um but you have children sir yeah you're just leaving that around the house like all willy-nilly yeah Don't and i mean also, people hide that yes and they found a lot when they when they when they eventually get the warrant they found a lot Uh, I just don't feel like you want your children exposed to that. I wouldn't either. I mean, if if that's what you like, that's your thing, that's fine. But how about a little more respect for your wife and and her kids? Yeah. January 2nd, 1972, 16-year-old Timothy McCoy, he was sleeping at a bus station when he was approached by Gacy. Mm-hmm. And from what I read, his mother had, some sources said that his mother had dropped him off. Some said that he was there for like a layover and he had to sleep there for the night. Either way, he was at the bus station. He was going to catch a bus to visit his uncle. Gacy saw him and he said that he was worried about him staying and sleeping in the bus station overnight. So he asked him if he wanted to come back to his home and stay there. Say yes. He promised to bring him back the next morning to catch his bus. Don't say yes. So the boy said yes. Casey, this broke me, okay? They 
They did their normal thing, you know, drugs, booze, porn, and they went to sleep. Casey claims the next morning he woke up and he saw the boy standing in the doorway with a knife. He freaks out. I mean, that is kind of foreboding. He freaks out and they get into a, a huge fight. Like they are fighting. I think Gacy throws the guy into a dresser. All sorts of stuff. He wrestled the knife away. And as soon as he got the knife away, he stabbed the boy multiple times in the chest. <laughs> okay. He said he said he was really tired after all of this fighting. But he said when he was listening to the gurgulations as the boy died was when he realized, quote, death was the ultimate thrill. He experienced the best orgasm of his life. Disgusting. Uh-huh. And after this happened, he said he took the knife into the kitchen to wash it off. And he saw that the kid had been making a bacon and egg breakfast and had just absentmindedly walked into the room to wake Gacy up with the knife in his That poor kid was just being so sweet. Mm-hmm. And I imagine kind of thanking him for like, hey, thanks for not making me sleep in the bus station last night. Yeah. This boy, Timothy McCoy, I did not mean for that to rhyme. Timothy McCoy was the first body that Gacy would hide in his crawl space. His next murder, according to Gacy, because Gacy did... He admitted to a lot of this, and he admitted to a lot of detail. His next murder was January of 1974. This unidentified victim was a brown-haired male between 14 and 18 years old. He was wearing a silver ring on his left finger. His body was found wrapped in a bunch of plastic bags in the crawl space. Gacy claims that he strangled him and stored him in his closet until he started to decompose before he added him to the crawl space. Why? Why? Because he's disgusting. He is Annie the grossest, agrees. Yes. He's one of the grossest people to torment this earth. Oh, God. This body is also the one Gacy claims led him to start stuffing underwear in his victim's throats because fluid leaked from his mouth and nose post-mortem and left a stain. I hate him so much. In 1974, Gacy started his own destruction construction business. Destruction business. He started his own construction business. Destruction business. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he probably did some destruction every now and then too. Um. Well, I just get the feeling he's destroying people's lives. Oh, hundred percent. He called this business PDM, and it stands for painting decorating and maintenance and he eventually did become pretty successful he would do construction on homes and eventually he would start uh doing construction on businesses he hired a lot of young teenage boys teenage boys young men and he claimed this was because of a like an i can train them the way that i want kind of thing And it was also a 
business decision because he could pay them way cheaper than he would have to pay a knowledgeable, more experienced person who might have been a little older. So that was his reasoning of hiring the younger. Okay. I mean, business perspective, I I get it. Saving money. Yeah. I have to say, like, yeah, I, I get that. But still, you suck. Between 1974 and 1978, the Gacy's were the family. It Like, you know, the saying, keeping up with the Johnsons. Oh, no. Keeping up with the Gacy's. It was keeping up with the Gacy's. Everybody loved him. They threw parties. Uh, they threw block parties, barbecues. They had an annual themed summer party. This summer party was sometimes attended by over 300 people. They knew 300 people that would attend. Oh, yeah. They were, I mean, politicians would be at these parties because he was still active in the Democratic Party. The neighborhood would come. Like, he would just invite people. Yeah, these parties were absolutely huge. Um, The two biggest, so the two that were attended by the most amount of people, one was a luau party and one was a western party. Nice. His neighbors. Wait, 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 wait. A luau? Like a Hawaiian luau? Yes. And then a Western. Yes. Why do those seem so vastly different? Oh, they were, they, yeah, they were different every single year. His neighbors, they loved him because he was like always down to do a favor. He would lend their, his tools out if they needed them. He volunteered to clean the sidewalks in the whole neighborhood of snow in the winter. They said he was just a really nice, charming guy. We always hear it. Um, they did claim later, some of his neighbors, to hear screaming and crying coming from the house late at night. Which, okay, he does have two daughters, got two stepdaughters. Uh, so I can see how... That can be like, well, maybe they're just disciplining them. Maybe they had a bad dream, stuff like that. How frequently? More than once. Definitely more than once. I just feel like a child cry is different than like an adult screaming or crying. Mm-hmm. Right? I would think so. Um, He did later, he did do a lot of these I don't even know what to call it. Crime seem, does not seem enough. But a lot of this happened in his garage, which they later find out he had uh, insulated it. No, you're good. I couldn't think of the word. He had insulated it and kind of prepared for this, which is disgusting. But so a he lot of it- planned... This was uh what's the what's the terminology? Um premeditated? Yeah. I was going to say predetermined and that wasn't correct. He started attending the Jolly Joker Clown Club club in 1975. And it wasn't like a college, it was people doing this for fun. And they dressed up and they performed at children's parties, they went to hospitals and they would visit sick kids and charitable events. He did not make much money off of this. He did it sheerly because he enjoyed it. He said that it helped him regress to his childhood, which is like, okay, that's fine. That's cool. Um, 
But he also said that he liked being a clown because you could sit on women's laps and grope them, and everyone thought it was funny. Wait, what? He also told a police officer um, that everybody loves clowns. Clowns can get away with murder. Mm-hmm. Try again, Chuckles. Yeah. I'm glad that you called him Chuckles because he is... <laughs> we all know his name was his name as a clown was Pogo, but he actually had two. And I could only find pictures of one, so I don't know if he just used the same makeup. But he did say that he had Pogo, who was a happy clown, and he also had Patches, who was more serious. July 31st, 1975, John Butkovich was 17 years old, and he, wa- he worked for Gacy at PDM. He went missing after, now this is according to Gacy, they got into an argument over checks that Gacy withheld when Butkovich quit. You're saying but, or not buck? Yes, Butkovich. It is okay. B-U-T-K-O-V-I-T-C-H. Okay. A, there's a lot of, like, really, I don't know, I, I feel like they're Italian names in here. But, apparently, John Butkovich, he owed Gacy money for an apartment, and he never finished paying Gacy, so when he quit, Gacy was like, I'm not giving you checks. You owe me money. And he's like, you know, you'll get your money. I need my check. That kind of thing. Wait. Was I allowed to go in and look at pictures? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Okay. You said Pogo was his happy clown and Patches was the more serious one? Yeah. Are you looking at that very angry picture of Pogo? Yeah. That doesn't look like a happy clown. No, that's why I put it there. Like he's wearing a button that says Pogo, but that does not look happy. Even that is not even, bad. I was going to say the clown that where it would be the smile is a mm-hmm. frown. Yes. Oh, it's a clown frown. Yeah, that's why I put that in there because you, I've never oh, seen that yeah. picture of him as Pogo. I always see him. I always see him smiling. Almost I always see him clowning. I mean, when you live the clown life. You live the clown strife. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that worked. (laughs) So later we would find out Gacy, Bukovich is one of the ones that Gacy confesses to. And he tells a story that Bukovich and like three or four of his friends, they came over, they were angry. And he said it felt like they were going to jump him to get these, this, this money, these checks. And Instead, Gacy <laughs> calmed them all down by offering them porn and beer and drugs. Hey, again with the porn. And beer Why? and drugs. Okay. The beer and drugs, eh, still don't get it. But why is porn a selling point for anyone to hang out with Gacy? I'm still not sure about that. I do not understand it. But then again, I've never had a friend come up and be like, hey, you want to watch some porn and drink some beer? Can't say that I would say yes. I still feel, I know I wouldn't say yes. I'd be like, no, you've, you've got that under control. I'll go home. Right? Yeah. 
I feel like there are so many more things that we could watch. Why does it have to be stag films is what they were called. Just there's so many things. Mm-hmm. We can go to the movie. We can go. I don't get it. Can read a book. Books are nice. Well, eh, well. Mm. Depends on the book. And I don't know if I would like the books. So anyways, he does calm him down and everybody leaves. Later in the night, he's cruising, which is what he called driving around, trying to pick up men. Occasionally women. Bruising. Sorry. (laughs) Go on. Occasionally women trying to pick up. Okay. Yeah. Basically just looking for a one night stand type thing. And he ran into Bukovic again. And he was by himself and he was beat up. So Gacy, being the loving, concerned man that he is, took him back and fixed him up, bandaged him up. For how long? Um, well, John Butkovich ends up in the crawl space as well. Uh-huh. Over the years, Carol, his second wife, she said that she did see Gacy come and go with many teen boys and young men. She said that they'd be in the garage for hours. And much like Gacy's father, where that he did not allow his family in the basement, Gacy did not allow anybody to go into that garage. Carol said, I don't give a damn. And she snuck into the garage one day. She said she noticed a mattress on the floor. There were red light bulbs. So all the lights were red. And she said there were mirrors on the walls and ceiling. She confronted Gacy and she said he exploded and told her never go in the garage again. And he refused to tell her what went on in there. Is he developing film? What the hell's happening? I think it's just part of his... Clowning around. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I think that's the nicest it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Now they did, the cops did confiscate like video equipment from his place. So it is possible that that was either something that he kind of dabbled in or was at least interested in. But they never, there was no like, this is for sure. She also claimed that a boy came to their house one day and beat Gacy's ass in the front yard because he accused Gacy of raping him on a work trip to Florida. Damn, that kid was not messing around. No. uh Uh-uh. This was Jack Pizzler, I believe. I'm sorry. He worked at PDM for Gacy and Gacy brought some bought some property in Florida and he went to kind of check it out and, you know, do any remodeling that needed to be done. So he brought Jack with him. While they were down there, Jack said that Gacy attacked and raped him in a hotel room. And I guess instead of going to the police, this is how he chose to handle it. Unfortunately for Jack, he would eventually be charged with battery and spend one year on probation for it what happened between him and Gacy. Mm, I mean, on one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I also get it. Like, I get where Jack is coming from. 
Oh, and I yeah. get what the, where the police are also coming from. Yeah. Because it was, he went there when there was no imminent or immediate threat, so. Carol and Gacy did eventually divorce in March of 1976. They still lived with each other for a little while until Carol could get an apartment with her daughters. Carol claimed that throughout the course of their marriage, the smell in the house got worse and worse. The first time she complained, Gacy spread quick lime in the crawl space. When that didn't work, he poured concrete while Carol and the girls were away from the house. He just poured concrete down there. I don't think you're supposed to do that. I don't know. I don't understand it. The crawl space was like, you literally have to crawl into it. So I don't even understand how that's possible for you to be down there pouring concrete. It's like in, um, he just got buckets. He just takes a bucket, pours a little, takes a bucket, pours a little. I don't like it. She wanted to call an exterminator, but Gacy blamed it on the moisture under the house. And she said the last couple- even worse. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be like mold concerns? I would think so. What From what he told the police in uh, one of the very many interviews, he blamed it on some kind of dirt, a specific type of soil or clay that was under the house. And he said that when moisture hit it, it would oxidize and it would stink. And... He did claim that there were two other houses, one next to him and one across the street, that also had this specific dirt under the house, and they had problems, too, with the smell. I could never confirm that, and Gacy is a dirty, disgusting, filthy liar, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, but it's kind of interesting. The last, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the last couple months they lived at the house, Carol said that they were getting gnats and these big black bugs inside the house in the winter. And she said she believed that there were dead mice in the crawl space. And when she brought this concern to Gacy, he was like, okay, I'll lay some traps down. And she was like, what? That doesn't solve the issue. I think they're dead and decomposing. Exactly. And she said she was just kind of astounded that she was like, what is, what is that going to do? After they divorced, Gacy lost any and all inhibition uh, because he was at the house by himself now. On April 6, 1976, Gacy killed Daryl Julius Sampson. Now, this was an originally unknown body. They did identify him November 18th of 1979. He was 18 when he went missing, and he was found with a cloth-like material in his throat. May 14th of 1976, Randall Wayne Reffitt. He was 15 years old when he went missing. He was last seen walking home from school. Hours after killing Reffitt, He killed 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton, and Samuel's mother, Myrtle, last saw him walking to his sister's house. When he killed two people in one day, he called it a double event because he's disgusting. On June, or I'm sorry, in June of 1976, Michael Bonin was seen for the last time. He was 17 years old. 
And his mother said that she dropped him off at the subway the last time she saw him. His fishing license would later be found in Gacy's home because Gacy did keep things from his victims. He kept and souvenirs and trophies. Mm-hmm. The ligature was still found. Michael Bonin. Wait, they, repeat that. The, the ligature, ligature what? It was still found wrapped around his neck when they took him out of the crawl space. June 13th, 1976, William Huey Carroll Jr., he went by Billy. He was 16 years old, and his mother, Violet, last saw him a little before midnight when he told her he would be back in an hour. In July of 1976, David Cram went missing. He worked for PDM, and I'm sorry, he... He worked for PDM, and he, he kind of helped out with just odd jobs. He did not go missing. I apologize. He moved in with Gacy. Why? Gacy, would, Gacy he, would, he would hire people like David Cram a lot. David Cram fell on hard times. He very fell on hard times, didn't really have anywhere to go. So Gacy was like, well, hey, you can come work for me. I'm divorced. My wife moved out. He claimed that Gacy made him crawl into the crawl space to spread quicklime. And he said it like it stunk. It was horrible. But he said that Gacy forced him down there. And this was not the only employee that Gacy would force to crawl down there and spread the lime. David, he moved out, but he did still help PDM when he needed money. August 5th, 1976, 16-year-old James uh, Jimmy, is what he went by, Hackinson, went missing. He was also originally unknown, but he was identified via DNA in July of 2017. He was a runaway from Minnesota, called his parents to let them know that he was in Chicago, but he never, they never heard from him again after that day. The next day, August 6th, Johnston went missing. He was 17 years old and he was going to a concert at Chicago's Aragon Ballroom. And he was supposed to call his mother when the concert was over to come get him. And she, he just never called her. She had never heard again. And the reason some of these are just really short is because we really don't know much about him. Gacy was kind of an asshole. He confessed to some. And we don't even know if this is all of his victims because at one point an officer asked him or a detective asked him if there were any more. And he told him, well, that's your job to figure out. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're going to jail for life already. Like. Oh, yeah. And if he not did, headed for the death penalty. He did not. He was very. He was eerily cooperative. Like, he, he would tell them these stories. He actually used, he took rosary out of his, a rosary, excuse me. He took a rosary out of his pocket and used that to demonstrate how he did the rope. Um, mm-hmm. While he was I mean, he feels like he's cooperative for the ones they know about, but not for the rest. 
Yeah, no. Which I don't know why, because, spoiler alert, they dug up 29 bodies. I, and I believe they found 30. I could have that wrong. But they, they took 20-something bodies off of his property. Bro, just tell them. You're not going anywhere. Well, he does. They know but... at this point. Yeah. October 25th of 1976, Kenneth Parker, he was 16-year-old, and Michael Marino was 14-year-old. They were hanging out when they went missing, and they were strangled and raped and put into the crossbow, which is pretty much his MO. Um, Gacy would strangle and rape these boys and men and then just get rid of their bodies. I mean... He didn't really get rid of their bodies, but... Oh, we'll get to that. I hope... I hope that all of his victims that were under that house haunted his ass. I hope so, too. That was another thing that I believe I say later on, but it just kind of pissed me off because he... He claimed that while he was in jail, if the cops wanted him to cooperate, then he wanted to be treated better from the guards because one guard come up and asked him, how can you sleep in a house with dead bodies in the crawl space? And John Wayne Gacy was not appreciative. And he said that it was insensitive. And he felt like, he's, I'm sorry, I don't remember it verbatim, but he felt like a zoo animal that they were going to throw peanuts at. Well, I hope they threw worse things at you. Throw yeah. tomatoes and peanuts and Judas. Any... Yes, get a monkey in there. He is yes. a clown. You know what? He could have been in a circus with a monkey. I hope the monkey flung its poop at it. I really hope. Just I hope your days are horrible. I I couldn't think of anything bad enough. I'm sorry. I hope you have sleep paralysis and get demons, Mr. Gacy. Every day. Yes. Now, Michael Marino, his mother never believed that the body identified with dental records was her son. So in March of 2016, she had the body exhumed and DNA proved that it was not her son. But the Chicago police, they still consider Michael Marino a victim. They said that it was possible that they may have gotten his remains mixed up with another person's, especially since him and Kenneth Parker were... Uh, killed and buried at the same time. While this sounds absolutely horrible, I can unfortunately see their point on this one. It's it's horrifying for me to imagine not getting your son back from this. But also, they had 20-something bodies. You know, like, and this was in the 1970s. Or 1980s, I believe, when all this happened. The late 70s, early 80s. So they weren't really prepared for something like this. When he went to court, he was the most prolific serial at the serial killer at the time in the United States. So yeah, it's kind of messed up. But also, what are, what are they supposed to do? They've never dealt with something. Right. They're just doing what they can. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine being one of the officers on that scene. No, they... Uh, they did end up destroying that house. They completely took it down because of how they had to dig up the bodies. And neighbors, 
would say like they could see people in full hazmat suits going into this house and coming out and just like ripping the masks or whatever off and just vomiting in the front yard. It was really, really bad. The next day, October 26th of 1976, William Bundy, he was 19, he was known as Bill, went missing. This body was also originally unknown, but it was identified November 2011 through DNA. Some sources stated he worked at PDM. Others just listed him as a contractor. But he did go missing after not coming home from a party that night. December 12th of 1976, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik went missing. Now, Godzik, he did work for PDM. He never came home after dropping his girlfriend off after a date. <clears throat> his wallet was later found at the Gacy home. And his parents knew something was wrong when his car was found abandoned and unlocked because they said that this car was his pride and joy. He was so proud of this car. He never would have abandoned it. And he especially wouldn't have left it unlocked. Later, while he was confessing, Gacy went on to laugh about Godzik digging his own grave and not knowing it at the time. I hate him so much. Police believe that sometime between early 1976 and early 1977, Gacy killed Francis Wayne Alexander. He was another one of the unidentified bodies pulled from the crawl space. He was born in North Carolina and he moved to Chicago after living in New York. He was believed to be about 21 or 22 when he was killed. And he was identified from DNA in October of 2021, thanks to the DNA Doe Project, because they are still working to identify the five unidentified bodies. And I will tell you at the end, too, how to go about, if you think you lost a family member, how to go about getting your DNA tested, because the Chicago police, they will help with that. January 19th. Or Before you, me. hold on, hold on. So a lot of these seem to be his employees. Yeah. And nobody connected dots that his employees are going missing? Shockingly, no. Okay. And sometimes, which I think, uh, yeah, actually, we're just about to get into it. Sometimes he did kind of get in trouble with stuff like this, and he was able to just talk his way out of it. Because not only was he very, very charming, he was very well connected with politicians and stuff like that. And that, that club, isn't out. it? What was it called? The the. Well, he was in the Jolly Joker Clown Club. He was in a nope, Moose Club. One. He was a JC. That one. Yes, he was part of the Democratic Party. He was he was well connected. So January of nineteen seventy seven, John Zick went missing. He was friends with Gregory Godzik. He was last seen January twentieth. And his class ring would later be found at Gacy's house. His parents were many that were upset with police for not doing more to find their son. John Zick bought license plates for his car the day he went missing. 
He had just bought an apartment and he still had a paycheck waiting to be picked up at his job. Regardless, police believe him to be a runaway. Runaways don't typically pass up on money. So if he had a check waiting for him at his job, why would he have passed up on money? And his mom even said that that was a check with overtime. So it was a good check. Later, uh, Gacy was linked to John Zick when police found that Maine West class ring and a television that serial number matched one bought by Zick. Now, later we would find out that Gacy killed John and sold his car to Michael Rossi, another employee, after he altered the license plate. Police found Rossi driving that car because he went to the gas station, filled up the car with gas, and tried to leave without pay. So when police came here, they, I mean, I imagine police get here and they're like, what the hell are you doing? They talked to Rossi, and he was like, well, I'm buying this car from John Wayne Gacy. He can explain everything. Gacy told police that Zick sold him that car so he could run away to California. And they accepted that. Nope. Mm -hmm. How old was this kid again? John Zick. Uh, I don't have his age. I believe he was about 19. Okay, I guess if he's an adult. I can't believe I didn't have it. Okay, yes, he was 19. Now, Michael Rossi, who I mentioned in that last bullet, he lived with Gacy kind of on and off at different times. He also claims to have been forced into the crawl space to spread quicklime and dig they called them trenches, like David Cram did as well. And Gacy told them that they were digging this for plumbing, because he always claimed he had that issues with those issues with the plumbing. That was his big. Experience. You can only have plumbing issues for so long. I mean, you're a contractor. I could, I would assume. Well, even I, if you're if- not a plumber, you would have access to a plumber. Well, yeah, but I would also think he was ha- he had gotten them to do it under the pretense that it was, in my head, it would be under the pretense that it was work. Like, hey, yes. I need help with X, Y, Z. So, like, I, I get how he got them to do it. I also would have been like, mm, am I clocked in right now? <laughs> am I getting I guess, paid for this? I guess when you live with him, you're kind of at his beck and call whenever. Because he didn't charge them rent or anything. He just let them live there and paid them for work. Now, Michael Rossi and David Cram, they did go on to testify against Gacy in court. However, Gacy named multiple accomplices, including David Cram and Michael Rossi. John Prestige, he went missing on March 15th, 1977. He was 20 years old, and he was from Michigan. He was allegedly visiting friends in Chicago, and he disappeared after leaving a restaurant. 
September 15th of 1977, Robert Gilroy went missing. He was the son of a sergeant in the Chicago Police Department. And they lived four blocks from Gates when he went missing. He was last seen by his mother leaving his house to go on a writing list. September 25th of 1977, John Mowry went missing. He was a 19-year-old Marine studying to be an accountant. He was allegedly going to inquire about working for Gacy when he disappeared. His mother would later testify that she saw him borrow her umbrella and walked out the door into a rainy night. What's really sad is in the book I read on this, his mother also had a daughter who was killed in a stabbing that was, at the time the book was written, unsolved. So I really just want the universe to leave his mom alone. Yeah. Russell Nelson, he went missing October 17th of 1977. He was a 22-year-old Minnesota Minnesota University student, and he was studying architecture. He went to Chicago with friends to a club when he went missing. November 10th of 1977, Robert Winch went missing. He was 16 years old. His mother last saw him leaving to go hang out with a friend. November 18th, 1977, Tommy Bowling went missing. He was married with a one-year-old when his mother testified she last heard from him. He was at a bar watching Bonnie and Clyde when he called her. And his wife and his mother never saw him again. He was also found with a ligature still around his neck. December 19th, 1977, David Talsma, another 19-year-old Marine. His mother, or he went missing on that day, December 9th, 1977. His mother said she last saw him leaving for a rock concert. And David's body was identified on what would have been his 21st birthday. In 1978, Gacy kind of mixed it up a little bit. He assaulted two people that we know of, and then he let them go. Jeffrey Rignall, he was 26 years old. Gacy picked him up while he was walking to a bar on March 27, 1978, and he offered him a ride and a joint. And this is the 70s, Jeffrey Rignall. He was like, okay, cool. And he said he got in the car and Gacy almost immediately chloroformed him. He continued to chloroform him anytime he would come back to while Gacy was driving him back to his house. He woke up chained to the rack at Gacy's uh, in his garage. And the rack was a wooden board attached to the ceiling with chains and holes for the head and hands. He would later go on to tell police that when he came to, he was strapped into this rack and Gacy was standing naked in front of him with multiple dildos of different sizes, shapes, colors on the floor in front of him. And Gacy told him in detail what he was going to do and how long he was going to do it. Jeffrey was tortured by Gacy. And at one point, he claims an accomplice was also there and they tortured him for hours. 
He was raped, drugged, beaten, sexually assaulted with multiple objects, not include or including, but not limited to the dildos. Jeffrey repeatedly passed out during this time, and he said that he woke up fully dressed, sitting at the foot of a statue in Lincoln Park, Chicago. He spent six days in Northwestern Memorial Hospital. He suffered from chemical burns on his face from the chloroform. He had severe internal damage and lifelong complications due to liver damage, also from the chloroform. He reported everything to the police, and they didn't believe him, so they did not investigate it. This badass waited by the freeway until he saw Gacy's car, and he followed him to his house to make sure it was the same house, and he wrote down the address and the license plate and gave it to the police. And they still did nothing with this information. They would later go back. uh, And when they did find Gacy, they would later go back through these police reports. And Rignall did testify in court against Gacy. And during the testimony, he broke into tears. Obviously, he even threw up because of the trauma he endured. He would later say that he hoped that Gacy was insane because Gacy does, Gacy and his lawyers, they try to go for the insanity defense. And Rignall said that he hoped he was insane because of the animalistic way that he was tortured. And he oh, described him poor as, guy. Oh. He described him as a beast, like the way he just did everything. He did write a book that I have not I have not read, but I really want to. It's I believe it's called 20 yes, 29 below. So if you want to read that I'm I'm kind of afraid to, honestly just from what I've researched that what he went through because this is the this is the clean version of all of these attacks. William Kindred, he went missing February 16th of 1978. He was 19 years old. He was found buried in the crawl space, and he was identified by a necklace or a medallion that his fiance had given him. Uh, this badass, by the way, his fiance, Mary Jo Paulus, she testified in a wheelchair because she had been in a car accident days before Gacy's trial. And she left her hospital bed to be there. She was not fucking around. She was not. She she was like, no, I'll be there. I'm going to give this witness statement. Or not witness statement. The testimony. Yes, thank you. The testimony. June 1978, Timothy O'Rourke went missing. He was 20 years old. He was the first to be dumped into the Des Plaines River. So we can assume that Gacy let the last two people go because he didn't have any more space. He was, he's running out of space. Uh, Yes. And what's even more fucked up is he went back to killing people because killing them is what he enjoyed most about it. No. Yeah. Nope. Timothy O'Rourke's body was 
It was found by a barge crewman. It was eventually identified by a tattoo on his arm that said Tommy Lee, along with his dental records. He was last seen by a friend when he told her he was going out for cigarettes a little after midnight. He had also told this friend that Gacy had promised him a job. Don't trust Gacy. No. Just don't trust anyone ever. Don't people. Don't have friends. Only platonic soulmates. Preferably in a different state that you only see online. Those are yes. the healthiest kinds. Yes. November 4th, 1978, 19-year-old Frank Langdigan went missing. He was found in the Des Plaines River by duck hunters eight days after he went missing. There was a pair of underwear still stuffed in his throat. The autopsy showed that he had died of strangulation and he had also inhaled his own vomit. Frank's bond slip was found in Gacy's house. November 24th, 1978, Thanksgiving Day, James Mazzara was last seen. His family saw him at Thanksgiving and they said they knew something was wrong when he didn't show up for Christmas. From what I understand, James kind of did his own thing, but he still made time for his parents. They didn't have a way of contacting him, though. They didn't have a phone number or anything like that. His sister told police, I'm sorry, he didn't have, they didn't have his phone number. Sister told police that he sometimes went by the name Mojo. And this led investigators to believe that this was the second to the last victim because Gacy did say his second to last victim was, quote, something Joe. Oh. Yeah. You know what? He should have been able to make that connection because he's Pogo and Mojo. He's a jerk. He had trouble remembering the names. He could sometimes recognize the pictures and he could remember the dates that this happened. But honestly, he probably didn't care enough to remember their names. James Mazzara was found in the Des Plaines River and police first expected him to be Robert Peast because they were looking for him at this time until they identified him by his fingerprint two days later. Gacy claims that there was a fifth body that he threw in the river and he claims that he thinks it hit a barge because he never heard a splash when he dumped it off of this bridge. His last victim is what would lead to his downfall. December 11th, 1978, Robert Keast went missing. He was 15 years old. He worked at Nissan Pharmacy, which Gacy was going to be remodeling soon. And multiple witnesses claimed Peast was going to speak with Gacy about a job that night. He called his mother. To tell him that he would be home a little late because he was going to see a contractor about a job. And even Gacy would later testify that he was very adamant. Hey, I need to get home. My family's waiting for me. Because it was his mother's birthday. And they had planned a celebration that night. Oh. Gacy would later test or Gacy would later confess that he had convinced Pice 
or excuse me, peace to come back to his house where he offered him a drink and did the rope trick. I don't like it. What is the rope trick? The rope trick is where he, he slips a noose around their neck and ties three knots in it. And he, in the first episode, or the, maybe the first part of this, I said that he used a pencil, which was incorrect. Mm. When he later demonstrated with the rosary beads, he used a pen to show investigators how he did the rope trick. At his home, he used either a stick or the handle of a hammer to tighten the rope around the neck. Basically, he garroted them. I don't. I clearly I edited that episode already, and I've already blacked it out. Is I've I really I'm almost done, and I really just want to be done. Peace's body would be pulled from the Des Plaines River on October. On, excuse me, April ninth, nineteen seventy nine. But that night of his disappearance. The reason this led to his downfall is because Robert Peace was well liked in the community. He everybody described him as really friendly. Uh, he played sports. He was really close to his family, so his family reported him missing that night, and they were adamant: "This is not my son. My son did not run away. He's not that kind of boy." So at nine p.m. that night, police go to Gacy's house to speak with him about Robert Peace's disappearance. And Gacy was really annoyed, but he agreed to speak with police. However, he claimed that his uncle had just died and he was waiting on a phone call from his mother because he had to make a arrangement. This son of a bitch actually told the cops that they have no respect for the dead. Excuse you, sir. And what a hypocritical hippopotamus. I, I don't know where the hippopotamus <laughs> came from. Um. It gets worse because as he was standing in his house telling this to police over 20-something bodies, um, Robert Peace's body was in the attic. Gacy agrees to come into the station. Um, He calls them at 11 p.m. This was at 9. At 11 p.m. he calls them and he's like, hey, do y'all still want me to come in? And obviously they're like, yeah, yeah, get, get your ass down here. So you were he's supposed like, to be here hours ago. They're feeling like you stood them up at this point. Yes. And they should. Uh, so he's like, okay, fine. I'll be there in a half hour. He comes to the station a little after 3 a.m. covered in mud. And he asked to speak to Detective Kozenzak. And they tell him, he's not there. It's three in the morning. He went home. Why are you covered in mud? They didn't ask that. But they did make a note of it because it's really weak. Like, for someone who's supposed to be one of the most intelligent people or, like, in the top percentage of intelligence in the U.S., why did you go to the police department covered in in mud. mud when they're wanting to speak to you about a murder? I'm, so, I'm sorry, a disappearance. Because at this time, they were not looking for a body. They were looking for a boy. So they're like, yeah, come back tomorrow. 
And he does. He comes back the next morning. And that's when it all kind of starts crumbling around him. He denies everything. He says, yes, I talked to him. He, he was wanting a summer job. Um, but, you know, he went home. They're skeptical due to his past because he has the sodomy charge. So they get a warrant to search his home. And one of the things they took was this. At the time, they didn't know what they had. But they took a photo slip that was in the trash can from Neeson Pharmacy. Peace, we later found out, had let a co-worker use his jacket while she was on the register close to the door. Because this is December. She claimed she didn't have her jacket. And every time the door would open, she would just get hit by this cold air. I think it doors opening and closing when it's yes. middle of any work environment. That's the worst. Yes. In Chicago in December. Oh, my God. So he was the nice guy that he was. He let her use his jacket. She put the photo receipt in her pocket. And that's what would eventually place Peace in Gacy's house. Because since she was wearing his jacket, that's what put it there. Police followed Gacy for weeks. And he was said to just basically mess with him he would talk to him he would invite that he would go eat at a diner and invite the officers inside before he left he would go up to the car and tell them like hey this is where we're going and they said he drove like a maniac icy roads middle of the night he would drive 70 miles an hour slipping and sliding on icy roads just did not care he was always in a hurry always driving like a freaking moron because he is a freaking moron the worst. At one point, he even invited them inside his house. And so, obviously, these officers are like, uh, yeah. So, they went inside. And they said it stunk. But what really hit them was when one of the officers went to the bathroom. And when the heat kicked on, he claimed to smell decomp. Now, the other officer would later say that this, you know, the man come out of the bathroom. And he's like, hey, don't you? Don't you need to, like, use the bathroom? Making eyes at him and stuff. So he goes in the bathroom. But the heat had kicked off at this time. And he said, like, it stunk, but it wasn't... Concerning. Yes. It wasn't something that he would, you know, it it didn't really catch his attention. Mm -hmm. He probably wouldn't have noticed it if it wouldn't have been for the other officer. Now, he was... Gacy was technically arrested. Uh, He was arrested December 21st, 1978. Uh... When they saw him handing off a bag of marijuana cigarettes to a guy that worked at a gas station. Oh, perfect. Yeah. The police are watching him. He knows this. So they think at this point, he was kind of, you know, the water in the pot's getting kind of hot and he's just not thinking. He confessed to murdering at least 30-something people. Exact quote, 30-something. He told them a lot. He told them he had raped and murdered teenagers and young men that they could be found either on his property or in the river. He told them about the handcuff trick, the rack, the rope trick, uh, which, yeah, I told you he demonstrated that with a rosary and a pen on uh, one of the, I believe it was a lawyer, one of his lawyer's wrists. He asked for a rope. To show them. And everybody laughed when they were like, no, we're not going to give you rope. 
Gacy's trial was February 6th of 1980, and it lasted five weeks. Gacy had countless victims that survived his attack. Some of these victims testified in court. Uh, Jeffrey Rignall, he was one of them that testified. Um, but I just wanted to read a little bit about the people that survived his attacks because they went through absolute hell. David Edgecombe, he worked for Gacy for a while. And one night after he had quit to go on a trip, Gacy just knocks on his window and asks if he wants to go party. David didn't want Gacy to be mad at him since he did just up and quit his job. So he agrees and he takes his Siberian Husky with him. They are drinking, partying, um, and David passes out and he wakes up handcuffed in Gacy's garage and Gacy is straddling him, choking him, telling him, you son of a bitch, you'll never quit on me again. As David starts fighting back his dog, who was outside, he starts barking and trying to get in the door. So Gacy stops and brings him home. Tony Anatucci was another victim. The Anatucci's met Gacy at church, and he ended up doing some work on their apartment where he offered a job to their son, Tony Anatucci. And with his blessing from his parents, they start working. He starts working with him, just kind of, you know, a little. One night, Gacy takes him to the Democratic headquarters and bets him $25 to clear a half pint of rum. This is around the time Gacy started making sexual advances at Tony, which he repeatedly denied. Tony said that Gacy continued until he swung a chair at him. And that's when Gacy told him that he was just joking. About a month later, his parents go out of town and they had asked Gacy to kind of keep an eye on him. He's home alone one night and Gacy just knocks on the door shortly after midnight to check on him. He said he was in the neighborhood, he had gone to a party, and he wanted to make sure he was okay. He also had some porn and wine. With the freaking porn. Yes. That's his that's his thing. Clowns and porn, I guess. So they're hanging out. I guess they're watching porn and drinking wine. And Gacy kind of talked Tony into trying the handcuff trick. But Tony left one of the shackles loose. And when Gacy, he's, as Tony was handcuffed, Gacy kind of left the room and come back. And he started trying to force Tony's pants off. And this is when Tony slipped the cups, the cuffs off of him, tackled, wrestled, and pinned Gacy. He was able to get the key while he had him pinned and handcuff Gacy while he held his knee on the back of Gacy's neck. Oh, by the way, Tony Anatucci was on the wrestling team at his high school. Well, you go, Tony. Yes, badass. You stand up for yourself. He later claimed that he left Gacy on the floor for about 10 minutes. And during this time, Gacy was kind of just in awe, and he kept telling him, you're the only one that ever got out of these and got them on me. December 7th of 1977, Robert Dunnelly was walking to a bus stop when Gacy shined a spotlight on him and told him that he was a police officer. 
He told Donnelly to get into the car where Gacy handcuffed him. He brought Donnelly home and sexually tortured him. He choked him and would wake him up multiple times. He held a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. When it eventually went off, it was a blank that he had in the gun. So he was just, I can't imagine the that. Sheer mental torture with that. Yes. He held his head underwater in the bathtub until he passed out and he would wake him right back up. Robert begged Gacy to kill him and Gacy told him, I'm getting around to it. Donnelly said that Gacy, quote, reached around my neck and pulled something around my neck and he started twisting it while saying, my, aren't we having fun tonight? No, I'm not actually having any fun tonight. At all. Polar opposite, actually. What's your definition of fun? Because it needs to change. He tortured this boy for hours before dropping him off at a department store the next morning. Um, some sources said that the boy worked. He dropped him off at work the next morning. What? He's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was Robert Donnelly was the other person, the other young man that. Gacy tortured and let go before he started throwing him in the river. Gacy, he told Donnelly before he dropped him off that if he went to the police, they wouldn't believe him. He also called Donnelly several times after the attack, taunting him. Donnelly, he did go to the police and told them all this. Um, Gacy was never charged. Because while they were investigating it, Gacy told the police and the prosecutor that everything was consensual and they believed. Michael Reed testified that he had also lived with Gacy in 1971. And while they were in the garage one day, Gacy asked him to look under a workbench for a spare fuse. While Reed was bent down, he felt a blow to the back of his head. And he felt blood running down the back of his neck. When he turned around, Gacy was holding a hammer. He grabbed Gacy and asked him why he hit him. And Gacy told him he didn't know, but he had a certain urge to kill him. Reed moved out the next day. And he was very... This was in 1971. So this was... Reed was very integrated with their family. Like he had dinner with him. Uh, He got along with his wife, Carol, and her two daughters. He played with her two daughters. And it just kind of goes to show you, Gacy, he does not not care about anybody. During the trial, Gacy claimed to have multiple personalities, and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Was Bogo one of his personalities? No. What was the other one's name? Patches? Peaches? Patches. You're right. Although I like peaches. Peaches would have been better. He told police that he had multiple personalities. There was Gacy the politician, Gacy the businessman, there was Gacy the clown, and then there was Jack, who was the one that killed all these. Jack. Mm -hmm. Gacy the politician, Gacy the clown, and Jack. Yes. 
which I don't think that's how all that works. They they very quickly found that he did not have multiple personalities. Um, the jury deliberated on this case for one hour and 50 minutes. And Gacy was found guilty of 33 charges of murder. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child. The last two were specifically in reference to Robert Peace. Charles E. Hansen was a jury member, and he would later say, this is one big quote, after we retired to deliberate, we elected our foreman and we took a vote. It was unanimous for conviction. Then we had to sign those 35 verdict forms. Each juror signed each form, a total of 420 signatures. That took us a while. We talked about the insanity defense then. While we were signing, nobody felt he was insane. So basically the whole them going in to deliberate for the jury was them going, so who thinks he's guilty by a raise of hands? Everyone raised their hand. And then the rest of that hour was just them signing papers. Basically, yeah. From my understanding. While they were signing the papers, they were like, hey, by the way, I forgot. He claimed he was insane. Did anybody think that? And everyone was like, no. Did anyone buy that? Because, I mean, I think he's expecting us to. That is something I would return if I had purchased it. Which is even weirder because he's, he claimed temporary insanity. So at least, in your words, 30-something times, you went temporarily insane and then just popped back to it. Like, no biggie. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Again, I have no degree in that field, but I don't think that's how it works. I don't think so either, but I also don't have that degree, so... As Gacy was let out of the courtroom, he smirked and winked at the deputy sheriff. The parents and relatives of the victims were said to burst into applause when it was announced Gacy was sentenced to death. March of 1980, he was transferred to death row at the Maynard Correctional Center. He did appeal his case multiple times, and every single time they were denied. He painted a lot in prison, self-portraits, and some Disney paintings. I saw one he painted of the Seven Dwarves. John Wayne Gacy, at the age of 52, was executed by lethal injection May 10th, 1994, at 12.58 a.m. Let me pull out my book here. Let me see what he had. So his last meal was a dozen deep-fried shrimp, a bucket of KFC's original recipe chicken, french fries, a pound of strawberries, and a bottle of Diet Coke. Wait, repeat that again. I don't know why you would put it down, knowing that I was eating. He had a dozen deep-fried shrimp, a bucket of KFC, the original recipe chicken, french fries, a pound of strawberries, and a bottle of Diet Coke. You know, that's not too bad of a meal. I mean, all the fried food for me and my ulcerative colitis is an absolute no-go. That's true. But I'm just thinking, like, fried shrimp, delicious. Yeah, I got, yeah. KFC, they're extra crispy, is how I would have gone. Not the original, but extra crispy. Yeah. I wouldn't have done french fries. I would have done potato wedges from KFC as well. Not that they serve those anymore. All the way, waffle. I love, I love potatoes. It doesn't really matter for me. 
Fair. And then strawberries. I, I would have requested maybe not the Coke, but I mean, overall, I'm saying not, not a terrible last meal. I'm kind of confused about the Diet Coke because do you just like the way Diet Coke tastes? Was that like a habit thing? Because, bro, you're about to die. Just drink the Coke. You just ate four pounds of fried food. Just get a Coke. Don't you think that, like, if you were about to die, you'd be like, one bottle of tequila? Yes, I would. <laughs> Absolutely. A bottle of tequila and four large lemons. Uh, limes. Oh, I had it with so I like Oh, I like both, but I want some Sprite as well. Just because I'm a baby, I need something to chase it. I just do the salt and then a, a lemon. Oh. Which, yeah, I, I guess a lime that. is okay, but I don't know. I like lemon. You could do either. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, his last words were, kiss my ass. Okay. No, thank you. No, not Should at all. Especially not. not after that last meal. Right? <laughs> he already looks just like a disgusting human like when he was a manager for, or when he was owner or whatever of those couple of KFCs, he looks like the owner of a KFC. I'm going to be honest. I forgot he was an owner of a KFC. Mm -hmm. He owned three, I believe. His uh, father-in-law from his first wife was just right. like, here, here you go. Take these three. I can't manage them anymore. Mm -hmm. Life. Okay. Now I just wanted to end. Uh, by saying there are five victims of John Wayne Gacy remain that remain unidentified to this day. However, the Cook County Sheriff's Office does have DNA from all five victims. And they are seeking living family members who had a male relative go missing from 1970 to 1979 in the United States. They have to be directly blood related to the missing person. And they're willing to donate a DNA sample for direct comparison to the five unidentified Gacy victims. So if you match that, all of those, you can make arrangements by contacting the Cook County Sheriff's Office at 708-865-6244 or on their website at cookcountysheriff.org. That, I want to be done for for the rest of my life. Well, after we both edit our portions, you can be done. And the photo, that very first photo, that's a picture of John Wayne Gacy. And that is actually the entrance to the crawl space that they took out of his house. And they had it Tiny. in court. Yeah. They had that in court. What's the second one with the drawing? Like the That is the drawing that he drew for the police officers. That's his drawing of where all the bodies are in his house. Or I'm sorry, not in his house, on his property. Because one they got from the backyard. I know one was in the garage. Oh, oh, I don't like it. Some of them were stacked on top of each other. Oh, that's the right. worst. Right. Sucks. He sucks. I'm so, so sorry. That was so long. I, I kind I of anticipated it being long. My story's relatively short. I kind of stopped. I thought I stopped like halfway through. I did not. Oh, no. I kind of figured when I did the editing, I was like, mm, she didn't stop halfway through, but that's okay. Uh -uh. Oh, okay. All right. Well, are you ready for my story? This is pretty quick. This is a pretty short story. 
Um, I anticipated this, your part being longer. So I just said, I'll keep it short. Thanks. So I actually thought this one would be a little boost to your story, Amanda. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> I just happened to stumble across an episode of Ghost Adventures. That was named Serial Killer Spirits. Oh, <laughs> and I'm intrigued. If you guys have Discovery Plus, which I do, because that's how I get my ghost adventures. Same. Um, they have, so the whole, it's like a spinoff. It's called Ghost Adventures Serial Killer Spirits. Episode two caught my eye because it's about John Wayne Gacy. <gasps> yes. I don't know why I'm excited. Probably because he's dead in this one, so... Well, they do investigate the old Juliet prison where Gacy was briefly housed. So that's what we're going to talk about is the old Juliet prison. So, yes. So before I start, I just want to say I actually read two books about the old Juliet prison. So the first one is called Old Juliet Prison When Convicts Wore Stripes by Amy Kinzer Stevinger. Um, And the second one was called Haunted Juliet Prison by Wendy Moxley Rowe. The first one detailed a ton of, like, escape stories and different, like, all of that. So that one was more historical, but it went through a lot of the history in general. And the second book talked more about what could be causing the hauntings. So they were both really good. It was really interesting to read the um, When Convicts Wore Stripes, the just the historical one, because she went into detail about, like, different escape attempts and different incidents that happened in the prison. It was really good. So, Love details like that. Yes. So if you're interested, go ahead and read those. Um, due to copyright, I didn't pull a lot of information from either of those books. The only things I did pull is if I could find it on different sources as well. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about that Juliet prison. So due to conditions at the degrading Alton prison, it was decided to build a new one. And that was the old Joliet prison, which was built in 1858, just six years after the city of Joliet was incorporated. So this prison opened on May 22nd, 1858, with just 53 inmates that were transferred from Alton. The original structure of the... Oh, by the the way, there's pictures. You can go in whenever you want. Um, The original structure of the prison was just a really small structure. I think it's on the second or third picture there's a map that's numbered and when you look at the one that's labeled 24 that's the original structure of the prison oh wow yeah they definitely added a couple things just a couple yeah um so sorry amanda and cody are flipping (laughs) each other off okay so when they opened it was that one small building which still stands today now, the original 53 inmates were tasked with building the larger prison around them. So, in a nutshell, they were convict labor. They were leased by the state to contractors, um, and they would work. So, they literally built up where they were being housed. That's always, like, I know that happens a lot, but that's just the darkest thing for me to imagine. Yeah. So... You know, so they are building this prison around them. Um, this actually included them quarrying the Joliet limestone that the build- building is constructed of. So not only did they build it, but they, they did everything. The, yeah, they did everything for it. The only thing they didn't do was draw up the plan. Correct. And uh, the person that did draw up that plan 
Um, I have him somewhere in here. I, I'll find him. Anyways, so the quarries that they were going to were just adjacent to the prison. A lot of sources compared this prison to the Winchester Mystery House. Like, it was just constantly being built. Like, just oh. always someone building. Other than that, though, there were it's not like there were secret rooms and doors and things like that. Like, they had a, they had a plan for this. I was going to ask, oh, are there cells to nowhere? But I think technically oh. all of them are cells to nowhere. Yeah. There's no hallways to nowhere. Um, so once the prison was completed, it stood on 15 acres, had four guard towers, while on three sides, the fourth side was the administration building. So that acted as the wall. And that also had the administration and the other cell blocks. Um, the walls were 25 feet tall, six feet at the bottom, and they tapered to two feet on top. Holy shit. Uh-huh. So construction in the prison was completed in 1860, and the last prisoners from Alton Prison were transferred, and Alton Prison was closed down. Now, the penitentiary's original plan included a 100-cell female house, which was to be located inside of the male penitentiary. From 1859 to 1870, female prisoners were actually housed adjacent to the men's cells. And this was because there was so much overcrowding in the men's cells that they had to take up the space from the women's cells. That seems problematic. Yes. So in 1870, the women were moved to the fourth floor, floor of the Central Administration Building. And in 1896, the 100 cell Joliet Women's Prison was built across the street from the male population. And it was basically a mini replica of the male prison. Now, the prison itself was, I don't know why this is so low in my notes. This should have been higher up. But the prison was actually designed by architect W.W. W. Boyington. And this is the same architect that built the historic Chicago Water Tower. So the Ooh. design of the very building is very castle-like. It's gothic architecture. I mean, it really does look very much like a castle. So when the Joliet prison, my gosh, I have those in the weirdest spot. I don't know, guys. I wrote these notes like two weeks. I don't know what's happening. So when the prison, Joliet prison opened, the Chicago Tribune declared we came fully, oh, nope. They declared we came away fully impressed with the belief that the important trust at Joliet are in good hands. That there is a growing, uh, that there is growing a state work which will be for long years to come the pride of her citizens. So basically they were like, oh, this is really great. This is going to be a great prison. Well, that image of the prison changes very quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of kind of weird to be proud of the prison that just had people build yeah. prisoners. Build I mean, prisoners. it started in the 1850s, you know. Okay, yeah. The image of the prison changes quickly. Uh, one common theme at the beginning is that prisoners were not allowed to talk. Like, you oh. were supposed to just be silent you have in your cell. You were put on silent sentences? Yes. Um, And basically, they would get up, eat, go to work, do the quarry, do the building that they needed to, and go back to their cell. And the idea was that they would remain silent. So they weren't allowed to talk to the other inmates. That's torture in and of itself. Yes. They were given very little recreation time. Anytime they were outside of their cell, they were working. The prison did actually end up having multiple contracts that basically leased those prisoners for others for their labor. So they would go to work, go back to their cells, 
Some sources said that they only received one hour of recreational time per year, and that would be on July 4th. What the hell? That's just insulting. Yes. Hey, happy Independence Day. Here's your hour of rec. Yes. Now, some sources said that they only received... Oh, no. Uh, If you were in solitary confinement, you were expected to stand handcuffed and silent in your cell for up to 12 hours a day. And if you broke those rules of solitary confinement, there was an iron door that could be closed, putting the prisoner in complete darkness. So for solitary, you just stay where you're at? Yeah, so solitary confinement, how they explained it, is they would literally cuff the prisoner to the bars of the door and expect them to just stand there. And if they made noise... Shocking that this did not work to help people not do crime anymore. I can't even talk. Yeah, they they don't do crime anymore because they can't talk to each other. They can't get inspiration. Yes. Um, So in the early years, punishments were harsh and inhumane, which I feel like any prison built in the 1800s... feel like it's not to it's kind of expected like there weren't yeah. great treatments of prisoners you know for unruly prisoners that would continuously break the rules they would be thrown into a hole about six feet deep and covered what many of the prisoners did not survive this punishment just like a hole six what? Feet. literally what? burying them alive <laughs> covered with dirt yeah, they would like throw them in and then cover them with dirt. They dig a grave and cover them with- oh. for for what? I'm sorry, I'm upset too. <laughs> for what though? Like, what's what's the end goal here? I, I don't know. These and are the prisoners s- that continued to break the prison rules. You said most of them didn't survive. Many of them did not survive. So are you telling me people dug their way out of this shit? Yeah. Oh. That's the best description I could find on that. Like, there was nothing that said, oh, yeah, there was, like, a a cement, anything. Like, that's just the best description I could find. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Um, Guards were very seldom held accountable for their brutality. There is a story of one man who was in solitary confinement. He was yelling. The guard got annoyed and made a makeshift gag with a broom and a leather strap. And each time the inmate would make noise, the leather strap would be tightened. And this went on for about 36 hours until the inmate was later found dead in his cell. Did he garrot his mouth? He he died. Basically, he was screaming so hard. Like, he he basically drowned to death on his own blood. Anyways, um, oh. the guard that did this had stated he was working under orders from prison officials. And was not held accountable. So that was a very common theme that they would see in the early years. They Mm -hmm. also, during the Civil War, the old Joliet prison housed criminals and prisoners of war. In 1865, the first correction officer, Joseph Clark, was killed in the prison. In the 1870s, uh, I already said this, so 1870s, they had business contracts for local businesses. In 1872, population of the prison had broken a record by housing 1,200 prisoners. And by 1878, the prison was well over capacity, housing nearly 2,000 inmates. 
And of the cells and the prison conditions, I mean, there were reports of unsanitary and dangerous conditions. It was overcrowded. There was tons of violence. Um, there was very disease-ridden. Um, and again, there were still a lot of reports of police brutality against inmates. Uh, a lot of whipping and gagging were said to be standard punishments. Um, and again, it was also common that prisoners were tied to the iron doors of their cell. And by this time, Joliet had become one of become known as one of the hardest prisons to do time at. A cell would be shared by two men, and the cells were about four feet by eight feet and seven feet tall. And there were God. two people in there. No. Yes. Oh my God. What if one person is this is what if one person is like overweight and takes up two feet of space? Better get in the bunk bed. He gets oh, bottom God. bunk. Oh God. Yeah, I hope he gets bottom bunk. <laughs> so by 1905, there were people that were like, no, Joliet needs to be closed. Like they don't even have running water at this point. They're they still have buckets in the cells for bathrooms. Yeah. At what year? 1905. Oh, I feel like they just didn't. Damn. Well, uh, by 1910, the prison does finally install the running water and toilets in cells. And in 1915, Edward Edmund, whoa, Warden Edmund Allen um, and his wife, Odette, kind of take over the prison. Now, at this time, it is common for the warden and his family to live on site. And his wife, Odette, is murdered on prison grounds. Oh, my God. Yes. So, Warden Allen, he was very focused on reform. He'd been making progress with, like, a better prison environment. He had loosened restrictions. He'd implemented an honor system. And with this honor system, you got, like, more privileges, the better behaved you were. Prisoners loved him. Like, they loved Odette and Warden Allens. They, I mean, they just were like, we're getting, we're allowed to talk now. And they were, I mean, they just, they loved him. And Odette was loved by the inmates as well. And she was known as the Angel of Joliet. God, my freaking heart. Yep. Because they had, you know, treated them so well, people, I mean, there was a better behavior. They had a string of arson incidents. Um, and I mean, Warden Allen was very proud because even with the arson incidents, like everyone kind of, he felt like everyone band together basically to stop the arson and stop the fires when they needed to. By 1915, Allen, he wanted a vacation. And so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. And he leaves the pre prison and Odette was supposed to go with him, but she was waiting on a dress because during their their vacation, they were going to attend a charity event and she had a specific dress made that she wanted. And so she's like, I'll join you tomorrow. So I'll just, you leave tonight. I'll, I'll meet you tomorrow once I have the dress and we'll just continue our vacation. And on June 20th, 1915, a fire is discovered in Odette's bedroom. Her body was found on the bed in the burnt remains around her. Um, they very quickly found that she had been struck to the head with an object and she died from smoke inhalation. Uh, and they do eventually find that it was her hand-picked houseman, Joe Campbell, who had later, um, who had murdered her because he was found guilty. Yes. And I mean, the prisoners were so upset. They, like, riots, basically. 
they I hope were he not. got sent to that prison to do and his sentence. He was serving time. He was already a prisoner. Oh my god. Oh, that didn't even freaking occur to me when you what did yeah. you call him? The house? He was her handpicked houseman. Houseman. So basically yeah. like so, her like a Right. So I mentioned that they implemented that honor system and Joe Campbell had moved up in his honor system ranks and he actually had a lot of privileges and freedom because of that. And so he was actually like working in the residence alongside Odette and um, Edmund Allen. So he actually, one source said that he had more freedom or more access to everything in the prison compared to any other prisoner. Like, he was, like, way up there. Oh, my God. And then you, what the hell? I bet those people were pissed at him. Oh, the prisoners were pissed. In that um, Haunted Joliet prison, that book, they actually detailed, like, what was I trying to say? So, basically, how they were able to find a connection to him was that he ended up saying, oh, I stole her hand purse and put it in a closet just outside. And then he was walking the dog. And other prisoners were saying, like, no, he was acting sketchy. They did find a hand purse in the closet. And um, Warden Allen had stated that's not where she keeps her hand purse. So he was stealing from her. And then he started a fire to cover it up. He had hit her on the back of the head. And she died from the smoke inhalation. You're in jail. What are you going to do with money? Oh. I mean, I know, you know, there's, like, prison stuff. I thought prisoners traded, like, corn chips and ramen and shit what do you need money for i don't know but he um a lot of other prisoners state that he was they could tell he was up to something because right when the fire was just was discovered they had seen him walking the warden's dog and he was like looking back like waiting for something to happen and that like he was basically trying to create himself an alibi so he was found guilty and he was, I assume he was probably planning some kind of escape. I assume so. He denies that that's what happened, but he, I mean, he's already in prison. So, yeah, go to hell. Yeah. So the prisoners at that point were pissed. They, like I said, they loved Odette. They even wrote um, a letter to Warden Allen, just being like, oh my gosh, we're all heartbroken. We can't even imagine how you're feeling. And Warden Al- Allen actually resigns after this. Um, and this is because he didn't want to set foot in the residence, so he had petitioned the governor, mayor, whoever, to allow him to live off of site. But they said, nope, the warden has to live on site. And so he said, all right, well, I'm not warden anymore. Because he's like, I don't want to enter that place. That's yeah, that's, that's where my wife died. That's freaking cruel. And I feel like that's a very reasonable request. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, so there was that incident. And then in 1924, two of our favorite dum-dums enter that prison. We have talked about them before. I did not pull what episode we talked about them on because I was dumb and forgot. I guess. Yeah. Was it Leopold and Loeb? Yeah. Why did I know that? Oh, my God. Do I listen when you talk? You must listen when I talk. Oh, my gosh. Let (laughs) me look at what episode that was really quick. I had this. I don't have the spreadsheet up. This is your weight music. I'm sorry. Um, Leopold and Loeb, if you want to go back or haven't listened to that one, that one is episode 19. Oh, wow. So, wow, look Yeah. Well, I guess, whatever. I mean, yeah. So, they enter the jail in 1924, 
They were both sent- sentenced to life. They were not there the entire time. Um, they did do a lot of revamping to Juliet's education system as well. And so, I mean, while in prison, they did good things. Um, Loeb actually dies while he is serving time in prison. In 1926, the Stateville Penitentiary, a.k.a. Crest Hill, was opened. Now, with the opening of this new state penitentiary, it was intended to close the old Juliet prison. However, the old Juliet prison remained open until 2002, and it was operational as a prison at the time. Um, So, I mean, years and years later. Now, the Stateville Penitentiary, or Crest Hill, was just a few miles away. From what I could find. Like they're real real close. In 1933. All female prisoners are moved to the Oakdale Women's Reformatory. A.K.A. Dwight Correctional Center. And the cell block that women were housed in. Was used to house male prisoners. In 1933. Lester Joseph Gillis. A.K.A. Babyface Nelson. Is released from Juliet Prison. I feel like I've heard of him. He's a con man. He's not a con man. He's a bank robber. I'm sure we'll do a story on him. He sounds fun. Yeah, I think I've already called dips on him, so. Is he baby-faced? I don't remember. Okay. I think Annie, I I think he, sure. (laughs) We'll say yes. In 1930, or sorry, by 1935, the prison was actually reportedly almost completely under control of the gangs in the prison. So, The prison officials had control of the walls and the security in the borders, but no control inside of the prison. That sounds terrifying and probably not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, The yard was filled with makeshift shacks. They had moonshine areas. They grew openly grew marijuana. They even had reportedly some signs that stated no officers. Like they just had freedoms. Oh my God. They built forts. (laughs) Yes. They that, why does that sound they're fun? They're prison forts. I wonder they, if they use pillows. They yes. <laughs> they had to. Have. If they didn't build pillow forts out in the yard, I don't want any part of it. If they are not a bunch of I don't know, twenty to fifty year old, seven year old boys building <laughs> forts like you know, in the woods, like you would find a tree or something that just yes. hung down. That's what I'm imagining right now. I'm I'm hoping that's what happened. Now, that's just reportedly. I only had a couple of sources that stated this, but I'm going with it. I like it. I'm glad you did. Yep. Starting in the early 1960s, Juliet included a reception and classification center. So basically, how it was explained in this case, um, a lot of prisons, what they do is they have... Um, like a center that is for new prisoners, they come in and then they're classified. So like they're told if they're maximum security, they go through the rules, they do all of that. And then for most other prisons, at least for the ones in Utah, because I asked my dad about this, they then go to the correct housing facility, typically on site from what I understood. But in this case, they were housed and then oftentimes within a day or two transferred to a different prison. They were just there to get their like final destination for Juliet or from the Juliet prison. Uh, That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. They, it says that the ones that went through this reception and classification center were there for less than a month before their final assignments. And with that, that means they processed over 20,000 inmates a year. 
holy crap. Uh, and they still had permanent residents as well. Oh, living crap. at Goliath. Yeah. So they had a ton going on. In 1975, members of Almighty Black Peace Stone Nation and other street gangs again take over a cell block. These I'm in it. Let's go. <laughs> basically, what happened is they were so they were holding several corrections officers hostage, and their primary grievance is that they had learned that they were being split up. They had learned that the leaders of the prison were about to be gone. Like that they, they have did you see that fly like right here? Sorry. Saw you react though. <laughs> um, they had learned that the leaders of these gangs were being sent to different prisons and they were pissed. So they, they wanted are... none of that. You are not sending my best friend to a different homeroom. <laughs> exactly. Uh, basically, authorities had done this because they're like, these gangs have too much control here. Like, they have far too much control and we need to stop this. And so the then warden, Frank L. Finkbeiner, promised that the inmates would not be harmed over a bullhorn and he actually ends up asking a former gang member herbert cadillac catlett to go and reason with him he's like can you you're reformed you're like on our good side this this guy he was cooperating with admin and he was trying to bring about positive change in the prison and so he's like okay yeah i'll go in and i'll see uh, what if I can calm down the rioting and he ends up being murdered during about this? To say, this sounds like a horrible idea. You don't send a narc in. Yeah. And so mm. he does, he's murdered and work or warden Finkbeiner was standing in Catlett's blood as he tried to reason with the inmates. Like that's how much that had escalated. Um, he actually would go on after I believe this incident. I don't have it written down, but I believe this incident they did end up bringing in National Guard. I was going to say at some point you got to bring in the beanbag guns. Yes. So um, when they finally get it under control, Warden Finkbeiner, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but anyways, he actually would go on later to uh, eulogize Catlett at his church in Chicago Heights. Um, and the sources did stress that this was an African-American church as well. So, like, this warden is making it known, like, he did everything and, like, he was he was reformed. Respect for that, at least. Yeah. In 1890, John Wayne Gacy enters Juliet Prison and he's there for about 21 hours before being transferred to another facility. Ah. <laughs> he was not there long at all. Um, Gacy was also housed in the prison's medical facility temporarily prior to his execution in 1994. So he had a medical condition and was just treated at the Joliet hospital. You know what it was? I don't remember what it was. If I remember correctly, it was syphilis because fuck John Wayne Gacy. I just know it had something to do. They had to x-ray him for something. I don't remember the rest. I also figured, I thought you would cover it. And so I didn't want to do too much research into it. I had to cut a lot out of my notes. So I do apologize. But he was treated for syphilis while he was in jail. So I'm assuming that's what it was. Uh, Then in 2002, Governor George Ryan closes the prison for what he says is budgetary reasons and all the prisoner and most of the staff was transferred to the Stateville Correctional Center and during 
I mean, throughout the time that the prison was open, I mean, they saw death from diseases, suicides, murders, executions. There were hangings and electrocutions and lethal injections done there. Um, so when the prison closes, it saw a lot of wear and tear from the elements as well as vandalism and prison. The Collins Street Task Force tried to uh, find a suitable option for the reuse of the prison, but their efforts were stalled by the recession in 2008. And in December 2017, Joliet, Joliet Mayor Bob O'Dekirk petitioned the state to allow the city to take control of the property, which from what I can find was approved. And as of 2018, the Joliet Area Historical Museum is running tours of the penitentiary. So this includes self-guided tours, history tours, haunted history tours, guard and photography tours. That sounds Uh, pretty fun, honestly. I think I would be fine just doing the history tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, With the help of the Joliet Area Historical Museum and the old Joliet Prison Preservation Call. Oh, sorry. With the help of the Joliet Area Historical Museum, the old Joliet Prison Preservation Coalition was created. So today, the old Joliet prison is known for its uh, fictional character, Joliet Jake from the 1980 film, The Blues Brothers. Uh, It's also been featured as the Fox River State Penitentiary on Prison Break. Now, the hauntings. Surprisingly, there's not a lot of different, like, crazy experiences. They mostly have common experiences. So... The hospital building is said to be one of the more active buildings. People do regularly feel a dark presence, which some people believe could be the presence of John Wayne Gacy. Um, They see shadows, hear noises. Some people have reported having rocks thrown at them, hearing voices. Um, A lot of people use dowsing rods successfully there. Um, In the prison cemetery, people hear a singing man. So this started after the prison had closed, like there's a lot of stuff that happened. And so this man is said to be the spirit of a man named George Chase and Chase had been in Joliet for two years in prison and he was becoming more defiant and he had been put into solitary confinement. He had managed to smuggle a rock from the quarry to his cell where he, uh, and when he was leaving solitary, they open the door, he enters the hallway. He is said to have thrown this rock at the guard. The rock struck the guard in the head and his life hung in the balance for two weeks, and this guard later died. So oh, Chase no. was sentenced to death for his murder. He did proclaim his innocence all the way to the end. Um, and he is actually said to be the first prisoner executed at Joliet. And sources say that gallows at that time were makeshift. They described it as basically he stood on like the second floor and they dropped sandbags down to a lower floor. Yeah. Oh, no. Awful. Um, I do want to ask real quick. I'm sorry. He maintained his innocence and rocks are thrown at this prison. Uh-huh. He, it was early on. So he was an early on prisoner. This was, I mean, think about the first execution. They're still using um, gallows. I just wonder but, if maybe he was innocent and he was framed from the other realm. No, because this would have been very early on. His singing didn't start until 66 years later. Oh, uh, okay. Well, maybe he was, oh. he, he had to learn how. 
So 66 years after his death, people begin hearing him singing and prison officials, they kind of make this connection and they say, oh, that's interesting that 66 years after his, his death, they now hear like it started in the same time frame and it was in the prison. So that's what prison officials believe. Uh, a lot of people still believe that John Wayne Gacy haunts the prison. He may have only spent a limited time in the prison, but with such negative energy, it, it's believed that he lingers. Yeah, I could see um, that. Also, where he was executed is situated just several miles away from the old Joliet prison. So people say he manifests as a negative energy, black humanoid figure, or black shadows. So people just very much feel not good around him. I believe it because he did that um, while he was alive. Yeah, so, yeah. Then there is a Louis A. Gordain. He, I think I added him to our list. He is a con man. And this was so interesting. He got caught and bailed out, but he, like, basically demanded to serve his time at Joliet. He, like, went crazy from the stories I could find about him. He lost his mind. And in one story, it detailed him like building a makeshift prison outside of the old Joliet prison because he's like, I am going to serve my time. Yeah, it was really weird. So it's believed that he is there. Uh, he manifests as black shadows as well. Uh, they do believe that Leopold and Loeb may linger there, mostly Loeb as black shadows and a negative energy or a humanoid figure. Um, Adolf Lufkert. He murdered his wife. Um, I also added him to the file, to the ideas list. He manifests, they believe he manifests himself as shadows. And then you also have Odette Allen, the warden's wife, who was murdered on the property. A lot of people believe that she still lingers during the time that the building sat abandoned. Uh, people would report lights in her window. Uh, a lot of people say that they see a figure of a woman standing on the grounds and they believe it's Odette waiting for her dress to be delivered. Oh God. Uh, yes. And a lot of time there are white mists found all over the place and they believe those white mists to be Odette. There is also a haunted attraction, uh, at least from what I could find. So from how I understood this, this haunted attraction is called the old Joliet haunted prison. It's done in the women, like the mini version, the women's cell block. And they do that seasonally for a haunted attraction. At least uh, that's what I could find. It didn't like exactly. Sorry, what? I was just going to ask if it was like a Halloween thing. Yeah, yeah. Seasonally for Halloween. That is the old Juliet prison. There's no doubt that it's got to be haunted with the negative energy that's gone through it. Like I said, there weren't a lot of like specific stories but everyone had a very similar like oh we felt negative energy like saw these humanoid figures and black shadows and there you have it and it's made of limestone right isn't limestone yeah. said to like attract paranormal activity yep yeah i think it might be situated near running water too but i can't oh remember God. do they just were they trying to build a haunted establishment? Is that what you wanted? Did you want ghosts? Because this is how you get ghosts. <laughs> I would have to fact check if it was by running water. I can't remember mm -hmm. for sure. But yes, they did want ghosts. They In 1858, em. they were like, we need a structure where we're going to be able to house ghosts. I believe it. Yeah. 
So anyway, so they do those tours that I mentioned earlier. I think, I think we should do at least a history tour there. I don't care about the haunt haunted part. Um, I believe they now are offering, I was reading that this, this morning on it. Cause you know, Google has now targeted my ads. Um, <laughs> I believe they are also offering like a, you can roam free in a ghost hunt type thing there, but I could be wrong. So I'll have to fact check that. That's always seemed fun to me. But a history tour, James has no rules on bringing thing on. So. What about a haunted history tour? It's not ghost hunting. It's a haunted history tour. I think, I think it sounds perfectly fine. And I think my husband, if you're listening, is a very rational human being. And it's, it's historical knowledge. It is so important to study history or we are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. Yes. So we need, we have to study. It would be un-American of us <laughs> to not go on this his haunted history tour. Yeah. And for us to not take Annie, come on. Are you really going to deny this the joy of prison forts? Anyway, so that's the old Juliet prison. Do you have any comments, concerns, or complaints? Um, I hope John Gacy is stuck there, and I hope he is tortured relentlessly the way many pedophiles are. I hope he is in hell. Both. Even better. I hope he is in this prison, in hell, but before the seemingly fun moonshine fort fest. <laughs> Before reform. You want it in the 1850s, all of that. Okay. Yes. I want him to go back in time to serve his time in hell. (laughs) Well, let's see if he can time travel. Probably not. Sucker. Well, that sucks for us because we know then. Yeah. Fine. It's okay, though. He's still dead. Yes, he's still dead. We're The world has one less. Yeah. So that's fine by us. All right. Thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Heels podcast, Twitter at Hell on Heels pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can also find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast Linktree. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon, where we're working to release specials for Patreon. Uh, if you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you. And this has been Hell on Hills Podcast. Bye. Bye.